Okay, so next country on your bucket list. Where are you going to next? I really want to go to Mongolia. It's a country that Mongolia? fascinates me. Yeah. Um, it's Is it because you like the Mongolian food? I don't know if they have Mongolian kosher. Well, they have Mongolian beef at like every kosher Chinese restaurant. I don't know how authentic <laughs> it is. Hey, what's going on? This is Nisim Black, and you are listening to the Nisim Black Show in partnership with the amazing people at Thank You Hashem. Today, our guest is my dear friend, Shlomi Zions. He's a 29-year-old Hasidic filmmaker. He's a podcaster, world traveler, and a writer. Shlomi has racked up millions of views and over 50,000 subscribers on his popular YouTube channel where he travels the world, including Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Egypt, Dubai, and much more. Please welcome my dear friend, Shlomi Zions. Okay, thank you. And we are finally here on the Nissan Black Podcast. I have an amazing guest here today, Shlomi Zions, the man of Zion uh, himself who has traveled the whole entire world, has seen things that uh, most people would pay to see. And, and, and if you're like me, you probably would never even step in some of the places that he actually went to. But thank you so much, Shlomi, for coming on the show. I really appreciate you coming here, brother. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I just want to say one thing. I'm pretty sure you've been to some places that I would never step into either. So <laughs> we're equal there. I I probably grew up in some places you would never step in step into. You're right. You're right. You're right. I definitely give you that. Okay, so listen, I wanna I wanna cover maybe a few different things. Um and you'd have to let me know really where you're comfortable because I really I wanna go I wanna go into the traveling, but then I wanna also to talk to you about a little bit of Hasidus and where we're standing today a little bit. Um so first question for me is out of all the places that you've been what place was the most impactful which which stood out more than any other place that you've ever been to i think the most impactful trip i ever had was my first trip to egypt which literally changed the way i thought about everything in life and uh, if you have a quick minute i'll tell you that story so when i was 18 years old i was studying at a yeshiva in israel and my Yeshiva ended sometime in June, and we had a couple of weeks where we were able to go and do whatever we pleased. So some of the students went back home, some of us stayed in Israel and uh, did some touring over there. And a friend and I had this crazy idea, or we thought it was a crazy idea, that we're going to go to Egypt through uh, Eilat, which is the southernmost city in Israel. We're going to go to a city called Taba, which is right on the border with Israel. And we were going to check out Egypt. So we disguised ourselves. Uh, we were wearing baseball caps and colored shirts so no one would know we were Jewish. Payas tucked into the hat. I remember telling another friend that we're going over to Egypt for 24 hours, and if you don't hear from us within 24 hours, call the Mossad, call the army, call everyone. We're in huge trouble. So I turned off my phone because I didn't want to get charged uh, the roaming fees, and we crossed the border into Egypt. Stupid me, I didn't realize that the city of Taba is so close to Israel that my phone would have worked there anyway. But we went in there and we got in late at night. We checked into the hotel and then we walked around uh, at the beach of the Red Sea. It was really beautiful. And towards the end of the night, we ended up in a strip mall where there were a bunch of stores selling souvenirs. And there was only one store that was still open. It was about midnight and we were a little bit afraid and apprehensive to go in there. But we walked in and right away the shopkeeper was closing up shop, but he welcomed us in and he said, where are you guys from? We said we're from the United States. He said, yeah, but there are no direct flights from the States to Taba. So 
where'd you come from? <laughs> and we were afraid. We didn't know what to say, but I wasn't going to lie to him. So I said we had come from Israel. And I was literally shaking. I thought like we were going to be in huge danger. And the man uh-huh. said, wow, Israel, you know, I've been wanting to visit Israel my entire life. Wow. And to make a long story short, we ended up sitting there for about four hours till four in the morning. And we drank tea with him. We smoked cigarettes with him. We just talked about life. And that was the moment I realized that so much that I thought about, I knew about the world, things I thought I knew about Muslims, about Arabs, a lot of it wasn't true. And that's when I really began to open my eyes and see what's going on in the world. Well, listen, man, you're only 29, right? So I'm going to ask you, because that sounds like already an impactful experience. Would you say that that was the thing that made you say, like, this is this is what I want to do. I'm I'm going to take this. This is going to be my life. I'm going to I'm going to make a thing out of this. Was that it? Not at all. Uh, it was an experience that I had in which I realized that I didn't know everything and there's a lot more to learn. So I wanted to definitely continue my journey of learning. But mm-hmm. this mission that I'm on right now, and we'll talk about it soon. That's something that I took upon myself recently after seeing the impact of the messages that I'm sharing. Okay. Amazing. So tell me, I mean, one of the craziest places, since we're on the topic of of going to Arab countries, tell me about Saudi Arabia. I mean, because I didn't even know they let Jews in there. You know what I mean? So I'm already trying to figure out how that story happened. Right. So Saudi Arabia, actually, I'm pretty sure there was a time when Jews were not allowed in. And it's not just that Jews were not allowed in. There were pretty much uh, nobody was allowed in. It's been a closed country historically since the country was founded. The modern state of Saudi Arabia, I believe, is in the early 1930s. They haven't really allowed anyone in other than Muslims who are going for pilgrimage to do the Hajj or the Umrah, which is in their holy city of Mecca. So as a general rule, no outsiders have gotten in, no Westerners, although there were exceptions at times for business visa holders. But for Jewish people, it was very hard to get in. And to make matters worse, If you had any religious articles, religious items, you were not allowed to bring them into the country if they were not Islamic. So no Torah, no tefillin, that was a big problem. Wow, 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 that is crazy. But overall, would you say that it was was an awesome experience? At least, I mean, that's somewhere you want to, I mean, that place is crazy, but think about it like that. I grew up at least, and I don't want to say I grew up Muslim, but I was a Muslim, I became a Muslim when I was eight. My grandfather was a Sunni Muslim. Um, so he taught me Arabic as a kid. I used to pray in Arabic five times a day. I prayed with him and uh, I used to go to the mosque with him. Unfortunately, he ended up in prison or whatever. So, But what that did for me, even even having that experience young, I converted to Christianity. I was about 14 or whatever. But even having that experience, there was a certain um, level. And I say I even have this now, even with the Christian world, there's a certain level of understanding I have of these, uh, you know, uh, quote unquote, Abrahamic faiths that I could still have a comfortable dialogue. Unlike when most people leave a, a particular religion or group, they have a certain animosity, they have a certain whatever, um, you know, uh, I wouldn't say such a friendly attitude from that which they came came from. But me personally, I actually enjoy the conversation I have with even some of the Palestinian uh, people here. I've, I've pulled up some a few times and uh, heard my music playing in the, in, in their car. So I know that they listen me seem black. I don't think they'll be inviting me for any concerts in Ramallah or anything. But um, definitely, <laughs> you never know. But so my question is like a place i would love to always go to is like iraq right i never went to iraq baghdad i'm more interested probably from a jewish perspective first off avram avinu came from somewhere over there you had the surah and pumpadita the yeshivas of, of the gemara was over there when you went there 
what what was it that you were looking for? You just going for the experience or what was it? So as a general rule, I'm a curious person. I'm always looking for new experiences to meet new people, to try new foods, to see new places. However, this specific trip that you're referring to was with Lipa Schmelzer, who I'm sure many of you. Leapy Leaps. Yeah. So he basically, it was weird, but he called me one day and he's like, listen, you got, can't tell anyone about this, but I'm working on an album that's going to be based on songs from Talmud Babli. So he's taking songs from the Babylonian Talmud and he wants to, sorry, he's taking words. He was going to be taking words from the Babylonian Talmud and using them to make songs for the album, the entire album. And he's like, I want to go to Babylon. I want to go to Bavel, to Iraq, to get inspiration for the album. Can you take me? And of course I said, yes. So we flew to Baghdad and we visited all these places, Sura, Pompadisa, all the places where the great Amoraim, the rabbis who wrote the Talmud, were studying and where all the stuff went on. We visited those places. There's absolutely nothing to see. There are no buildings really? left. Is But we went and Lipa said, I just got to breathe the air. And he wow. created many songs on that trip. So that's what that trip was focused on. Wow, that's crazy. Lipa, that's very inspirational because I'm, I'm a very... Uh... Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a soul that seeks to also uh, have inspiration from the places of where I am, wherever I am. To, there's a certain hashpan energy in different places. So that's very interesting. So next time, maybe I'll have you take me on a trip. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, if I you want to go to Baghdad with me, I think there'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> I would love to go to Baghdad. I mean, what's interesting, you know, I, I, I sort of, I don't think... You know, if I told if I was in Egypt or something like that, and I told them I came from Israel or whatever, they 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 for sure wouldn't think I was Jewish or something. You know, I go in with a baseball cap or something like that. I'll just tell them, you know, I'm some uh, American guy from the hood or something. So I've definitely thought and had the idea of like sneaking into Arab countries. No doubt about it. There's nothing inherently, uh, I guess, Jewish about my passport except for the Israeli one, but I use the American one. So maybe we could sneak into some other places. If you're with me, maybe my black card will get you into a few different countries you didn't think you could get into. So this was another big question I have for you was Har Sinai, going to Har Sinai. I don't know the validity of, of, of the actual place. You Maybe you know more than what I know, but you'd have to explain it to me. But was it something powerful? Did you have an experience there? What, what did it feel like being there? So first of all, to start off, I don't know the validity of the place either. Um, mm -hmm. I know for sure that it's somewhere in that region, but to know exactly where it is, there are Sfarim, the holy books write that no one knows where it is. So I can't right. claim to know that where it is, but the Egyptians right. have some kind of uh, Mesorah or some kind of tradition that there's this mountain called Jabal Musa, the mountain of Moses, and that's where I went. The idea mm -hmm. was just to go see what it was like, see if it's possible that this place could be Harsinai. There are a couple of factors you need to consider. For example, at the bottom of the mountain, there needs to be a place for a couple million people to be able to stand to receive the Torah. So if the mountains were really um, pressed closely together, that couldn't have been the spot. There seemed to be a place where that could have happened. Um, I don't know that I was looking for any spiritual energy. At that point, it was more about just having fun experiences. I love climbing mountains. I'm a, I'm a big guy and it's a challenge for me, but Whenever I do it, it feels like a big accomplishment. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, going to make content in the Middle East is always fun. So let me go more, way more into your personal life. Uh, just recently you moved um, from Eretz Israel uh, to Houston, uh, you and your family. So I want to know, as I got to see you this past, uh, this past uh, last few months ago, actually, there in Houston, I wanted to get an update on, on how it is. Do you miss Israel? What's the story? So we always loved Israel and we missed Israel, of course. Um, for us personally, as being, you know, being Americans and people being used to the American lifestyle, it was difficult for us to adjust. 
We right. originally tried it for a year and we ended up staying for over seven years. And those will yeah. be years that we cherish forever. However, we also did not find our place completely in Israel. And I'm not saying there is no place for us. I'm just saying that we didn't find it yet. And we mm -hmm. really missed our families. Uh, there were a lot of financial reasons why we should move here, the opportunities that I did not have in Israel. So for the time mm -hmm. being, we're here in Texas. We love it. It's a very warm community. And um, if people are looking to go out into the Wild West, Texas is definitely a very good option. But we do hope and pray every day that we can return to Israel one day when the time is right. And we're very much looking forward to that. All right. So we're looking forward to it, man. We're looking forward to it also. So I have another question. Talk to me a little bit about growing up. Growing up, uh, Hasidish, I mean, you know, I seen you did the uh, the the tour with Peter. Uh, what's Peter's last name? Huh? Santanello. Santanello, right, right. Who, 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 you know, thank God there's somebody who's putting out good content at least on Jews uh, somewhere in, in the religious Jewish world. Um, but in terms of your your own upbringing, growing up in uh, in, in the Hasidic world, what do you think the, the positive benefits of that was for you? Well, hmm, that's a very good question. I've never, honestly, I've never been asked that. So let me think for a second. Mm -hmm. Positive benefits. I mean, first of all, I was brought up with an attitude of, loving God and mm -hmm. that God loves us. I think it's very powerful. I once heard from Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. He said, there's a big problem these days that a lot of young kids don't believe in God. But there's a much mm -hmm. bigger problem that the kids mm -hmm. don't believe that God believes in them. And right. it was an upbringing of love, of encouragement, of knowing that you can accomplish anything, that there's a lot of goodness in the world and positive thinking. I think that's what Hasidus is. And anybody who's, who doesn't connect to Hasidus is probably because they're not they're not plugged into the right places. But it's it's a great energy, a great mindset. And honestly, I believe that Hasidus is not only for the Jewish people. I think there are people all over the world who should be studying it. I think it should be like part of the curriculum everywhere. I even recently got a message from a Arab Muslim who lives in Baghdad, Iraq, and he told me <laughs> that he learns the Ish Kodesh, the Sefer, the book of the Rebbe of Piyasetzna, and it's really <laughs> enhancing his life. So Hasidus is for everyone. Yeah, I no doubt about it. So listen, on that topic, this is what's something that's crazy for me. Now, the truth is, I don't really want to offend anybody, but no, I, I just want to keep it real because there's a question that I have. What I've noticed, this is just in my short amount of time of, of being a year. I've been, technically, I've been a year for, for 10 years now, a little over 10 years. But but in terms of in terms of Hasidus, one of the things that I've noticed from a lot of um, uh, youth from the Hasidic, Hasidic world is that a lot of them don't don't learn Hasidus. They didn't grow up learning Hasidus. Uh, it sounds like you obviously have an affinity for it, and and I don't know at which point maybe it came in your youth, maybe it came when you were older, um, but like maybe apart from Breslov and Chabad, probably maybe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying they're not Hasidim from other Hasidus that learn Hasidus, of course. But there's a lot of uh, people that I know that don't even know what's the difference between me. I'm a chalset. This person's a lit, litvish. I, okay, I have I go with payas. I have a I have a long coat. I have you know. But they don't really haven't had a connection to Hasidus in itself. Now, have you seen that? That's something that's prevalent in the Hasidic world. Yeah, um, as you said, outside of Chabad and Breslov, there are a lot of groups that are not super focused on learning Hasidus. And mm -hmm. there are Rebbes and, you know, Mashpim and people who, that's the way they support. So I'm not there to argue with that. I grew mm -hmm. up in, you know, in groups that were like that. 
And in my teenage years, I wasn't finding myself in those groups. So I started gravitating towards Breslov. And then after I got married, I started gravitating a lot towards Chabad. So I can't put a label on myself. But I believe that Hasidus is such an important, uh, it's, it's, not, it's a huge collection of teachings that, it's, that can change your mindset on everything. A Hasid always gets up when he falls down. A Hasid tries to be happy all the time. A Hasid is a giver. A Hasid sees the best in every situation. And these are simple tools that are not, you don't have to call yourself a Hasid, but these are tools you need for life. So right. regardless of what, whether, what you call yourself, whether you're a chassid or you're not a chassid, you need this information to live a successful, happy, and fruitful life. Right. Um, <clears throat> right. I think there's a, there's a very famous story of the Baal Shem Tov, who was the <clears throat> founder of Hasidus, uh, who, who had an encounter with this mystical story of this encounter that he had with Mashiach, that, that he asked him, when will be the time of your coming? And he said that, I will not come until your teachings are spread all throughout the world. Well, in which this lines up with what you said, how important it is for Hasidus to be spread out into the world, the, the, the idea of Ahava, and I think really just the fire, the fire of, of the Baal Shem Tov. And the reason why I'm bringing this back full circle is because you're going all over the world. If there's a Hasid going all over the world, he's going every single place, then it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to leave some light and, and to be able to collect and grab some sparks in every single place that you're going. So, Sakola uh, Kavod to you, Baruch Hashem, that you're able to do that. Here's, here's the nitty and the gritty. That's what everybody really wants to know. What was the most scariest, apart from the Egypt, maybe the Egypt thing was, but let me know, what was the most scariest situation you've been in when you were traveling? There were many. Um, <laughs> I, it's hard to quantify what was like the scariest, but- Give me a couple, give me a couple. Okay, so there's this place in Saudi Arabia called Khaybar. It's a, you actually might know about this because in the past you you dabbled in, in Islam a little bit. So Khaybar is this place where- 1400 years ago, the Prophet Muhammad came to this place and there was a massive community there of 50,000 Jewish people living there. It's in the middle of nowhere in the Arabian desert and mm -hmm. it's six hours away from Jeddah, straight through the desert, nothing inside. I took this drive over there and there's a fortress that was actually built by the Jews who lived in Khaibar and it survived, it's standing till today. So I went into this fortress, it's completely abandoned, and I had spoken to Rev. Mata Frank, who uh, is a close friend of mine and a bit of a mashpia, and he had told me that when I go there, I should put on my talis and tefillin and try to pray, daven for the souls of the people, of the Jewish people who were killed there because there was this skirmish between Prophet Muhammad and the Jewish people. So I went into this place, I put on my talis and tefillin. Um, obviously, I don't even have to say this, but, but uh, praying in public in Saudi Arabia, if you're not a uh, Muslim is totally illegal. Again, I didn't consider it public because there was no one there, but I went right. into this building and I'm davening and all of a sudden I heard yelling in Arabic. And mm. I got such a shock and fear. I ripped oh. off my talisman fill and I ran back to my taxi and I was like out of breath for a really long time, just shaking. And like, it was a mm. very frightening experience. Turns out that there was a Arab older man walking with his son, taking a stroll through the area and they must have got into some argument or something. They were yelling at each other. But when you know you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing, right. like you always think that everyone sees you and whatever. So that was, I didn't have a reason to be scared. Like in the, you know, in hindsight, I shouldn't have been scared, but that was pretty scary. Right. I <laughs> know that about it. I mean, that definitely, that definitely would have been fearful for me also too. Uh, maybe I never really know, uh, you know, what that, what that experience would be like. And being in one of those countries now here 
Here's a question. Um, it's very obviously that you, you're becoming more of a Baki in, in, in the Arab and the Middle Eastern countries. What about uh, Eastern Europe? What about Eastern Europe? Yeah, like, is that the plans to, like, do a whole chain of Eastern Europe also, too, and go to all those places as well? It's funny that you say that because literally a couple hours ago, I was invited by a rabbi in Germany to fly wow. down there. They want to show me some fascinating cemeteries, which they say have the largest um, the largest number of tzaddikim in the wow. entire Eastern Europe is in one cemetery. So they want me to go down there. I'm definitely working on something in Eastern Europe. I want to bring Holocaust education to the masses, especially now right. that I have a large following in the Arab world. You know, mm -hmm. they've been lacking a little bit in Holocaust education for political reasons. They didn't want to get involved, but now they're opening up to it. And a lot of schools in the Middle East are starting to incorporate it into their curriculum. And because I have so many followers from that part of the world, I want to show them, you know, my experience as a descendant of Holocaust survivors. I want to go and interact with uh, survivors. I want to go see the camps. I would like to interact with the descendants of the people who perpetrated the Holocaust, descendants of Nazis, which uh, Germany has a lot of them. And mm -hmm. because, you know, I believe that all this stuff happened, right? The Germans are still here. The Jewish people are still here. And we need to coexist in this world. There's kind of like this cold relationship where we... We're not mm -hmm. sure how to deal with this. And I feel like someone has to go uncomfortable. there. We have to have these uncomfortable conversations and figure out, you know, how do we proceed? How do we work through our traumas and make this world a better place? So that's a good question. Um, just kind of, I want to sidebar this a little bit because of, because of the Holocaust and obviously the, the hostility of, of Germany during the show of the Holocaust and everything. There are a lot of people who um, take it upon themselves. I'm just, just because in the world that we're in, this is very, very prevalent. A lot of people being canceled and companies being boycotted. And, you know, they even boycott Israel, um, many different other companies and different things. How do you feel about, like, uh, you seem to be a very peaceful guy. Like, would you not, like, drive a Audi or Mercedes-Benz? Uh, Mark Ford also, too, was said to be anti-Semitic. People don't wear that. I I'm, I'm just want to know what your, what your stance is on a lot of those things. A lot of people are very strong against uh, German brands and different things like that from anti-Semites. That's honestly a great question. And I'm not sure I have a formulated thought process about that whole issue. You know, I had a family member who had a BMW and some other members of the family were giving that family member trouble because BMW is a German car. But the people who were giving that family member trouble all have Bosch mixers, which they use to make their collars. <laughs> so I think for a lot of people, they like to feel righteous that I don't drive a BMW, possibly right. because they can't afford it. <laughs> and also because they don't realize that once you start boycotting countries, you end up with like nothing you can use in your house. For example, if you're going to boycott Israel, get rid of your laptop, your iPhone, your cordless phone, and so many right. other things. So right. I don't know if like, I don't know how it helps at all mm -hmm. not use German material. I understand people have harsh feelings towards the Germans and that's very understandable, but right. I'm not sure where I stand on this issue. I, I wouldn't necessarily like look to buy German stuff, but I also can't say that I avoid it. I try to do whatever I can to make my life as convenient as possible so that I could use my time in the best way. And if the descendants of Nazis are benefiting from this in some way, I don't know. I'm I'm honestly not sure what to say. It's it's a good question, and I would like to further ponder it on it. I mean, there's so much stuff you had to boycott. You know, even <clears throat> you know recently, a lot of people uh, were asking me, "How can you still wear Yeezys after what Kanye West said and all these other things?" Right. And like, 
or my feet are comfortable with them. Like, what should I, my feet should not be comfortable because, <laughs> because somebody said something stupid. And what does it matter? Because I bought the shoes in the first place anyway. It doesn't mean like now if I take them off, is it going to hurt? You know, so I just wanted to know just about the, the boycott and, and just talking about tension really uh, with, with other people in other countries and, and whatever the case was. If people so, are giving you a hard time about Yeezys, then you can uh-huh. always tell them that you're stepping on them every time you walk. Yeah, stepping exactly. On <laughs> stepping on them, stepping on them. But he did, he did apologize, though. Yeah, yeah, that's what I heard. That's what I heard. But I think, I think uh, the, one of the other interesting things is, I know I'm going to let you go soon, but I want to know about uh, Azerbaijan, the, the mountain Jews that you experience over there. Like, that is crazy. I mean, I don't know. I'm just very interested in all these different things. And I, I don't really have the guts to go all these places. So I'm just living my life out through you, my traveling through you. So tell me about that experience also too. Okay. So just for those people who don't know, the mountain Jews of Azerbaijan are a group of a couple hundred Jewish people who live in the Caucasus mountains in Azerbaijan near the Russian border. It's also mm-hmm. very close to Iran. And the fascinating thing about them is that they are the last remaining shtetl in the world. Essentially, before the war, there were thousands of little towns that were all Jewish, all over Eastern Europe and a lot in Central Asia as well. And they all got destroyed or abandoned in the Holocaust. Right. Or in right. a, and then in, uh, during the communist times, after the Holocaust, things got even worse and people just left and ran away. And there's one town left where people have been living continuously for hundreds of years. And the funny wow. thing about them is they don't even know where they're from. So they know, like they believe they might have come from Persia. We also found some uh, some gravestones in the cemetery that say Karchai, which seems to mm. imply that people who came from Karachi, Pakistan. So yeah. they don't know exactly where they're from, but they're holding strong. They're trying to keep the Torah to the best of their ability. And that's one of the most exciting things about my travels is to get to see that all over the world, there are people who are really giving it their all, people who are trying their best to be mm-hmm. good Jews, to do what God wants from them, regardless of the surrounding situations. People have financial difficulties. People have difficulties with the government of some of the countries they're in. There's a lot of anti-Semitism all over the world. But people are just trying to do what they can, and they are an inspiration to myself and to so many others who realize that our heritage is something so much worth preserving. We've been kicked out of Israel so many times. We've been spread and scattered right. all around the world. And we're still here. We're still holding strong. Man, that's that's exactly the way. I mean, for me also too. I guess what I would what I would feel like going to, especially visiting the different communities there, is is feeling like um, someone a little bit step closer to the redemption, to the gula. I mean, you know, Hashem Hashem has said to the Nevi'im that uh, that uh, that Hashem will scatter us all throughout the world, and to be able to actually go and visit different communities and all these different places would feel like something like just as quickly as you could go to the place that means that we're we're living in a world in a time when infrastructure is just as much as you can go there then you could feel as though they can also come home that there, there'll be a time where everybody will be able to come home and it could feel like it's very very soon and in the future bizarre to show yeah in the talmud there's a famous story of rabbi akiva who was walking uh in the ruins of yerushalayim near the <laughs> where the base of migdash once stood and mm-hmm. there were, you know, stones all over the wreckage of the base of Migdash. And he was laughing. And the students asked him, why are you laughing? They saw a fox walking in the place where the Holy of Holies was, the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And they were they couldn't believe why he was laughing. And he mm-hmm. explained to them, he said, that God made a, a prophecy. He, God told us that he's going to destroy this place. And he also promised us that he's going to bring us home and he's going to build it all back up again. So if he fulfilled his first promise, 
he's also mm-hmm. going to fulfill his second promise. And that's what you're saying, like going around the world right. and you see that he said he would spread us out. He did that. And very soon, God willing, he's going to bring us home as well. Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. So I have a few rapid questions just to close out. Okay. So what are your top three travel tips? Okay, number one, get to the airport early. You never know what kind of thing can happen, flat tire or security pulls you aside for extra screening. Get there early. I know from experience, it's not fun to miss your flight. Number two, you need a good travel pillow. Um, Because if you're traveling like me and you're traveling a lot, a lot of of nights I spend on the plane. Like that's where I sleep that night. If you don't have a good pillow, you can't sleep. The third tip I would say is never put your fill-in bag under the plane, never check it in because believe it or not, the airline only insures you for $600 worth of stuff. Your fill-in are worth a lot more and they're also irreplaceable because you put them on every day. You have a unique connection with these little inanimate, like you have a connection (laughs) with these little boxes that is so spiritual and so great. If you lose them, God forbid, it's not a fun experience. So never check them in, keep them in your handbag. That's very good, very good. Okay, so next country on your bucket list. Where are you going to next? I really want to go to Mongolia. It's a country that Mongolia? fascinates me. Yeah. Um, it's is it because you like the Mongolian food? I don't know if they have Mongolian kosher. Well, they have Mongolian beef at like every kosher Chinese restaurant. I don't know how authentic <laughs> it is, but I don't think I'll be going for any food. It's uh-huh. I want to explore the nature and the wilderness and uh, some interesting people and cultures. Okay. So on that, which country that you've been to has the best kosher food? American, um, you can't put in the, we're not putting them on. I feel like France is way up there. Israel is great. America has a lot. Panama is up and comer. Panama has Panama. approximately 35 to 40 kosher restaurants in Panama City and um, really good food. It's not expensive at all. And I think people should look at it as an alternative to Miami. Okay. Okay. I, I unfortunately had an emergency at a concert, had to cancel going to Panama this year. So I didn't get to have my experience. So hopefully next year for the kosher fest, I'll be able to go there. Okay. Next question is, what is something that you want the world to know about Orthodox Jews? It's very simple. We are human beings. A lot <laughs> of us dress in black and white. You kind of feel like we're walking out of the black and white movies, like we're old timers and our way of thinking might be backwards or whatever, but we are 100% human beings. We have feelings. We love. We care. We got to support our families and make money just like you do. People have health problems. We're just human beings. Please don't otherize us. Get to know us. There are so many of us who would love to talk to you, to show you around our communities. We'd love to get to know your communities. And we just want to be treated like like humans. That's all. That's a very good question. Okay, so now I'm going to flip it. Because you're a man of experience, what would you want Orthodox Jews to know about the world? The world is a wonderful, beautiful place. God created it for us to enjoy it. Yes, we've had a rough history with our neighbors pretty much wherever we've gone. But I don't think that a troubled past has to mean that we have a troubled future. I think there's so much to look forward to. There's so many wonderful opportunities for us to get to know our neighbors, to share with them, to learn from them, to teach them. And I believe that if we all get together and we try to see each other as human beings, to see the good in each other and to work together, man, this could be such an awesome world. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Thank you so much, Shlomi, for joining me. Please, before we go, is there anything else that you would want the audience to know? Um, Anything else you have coming up? Anything we should be looking out for? Social links. So please visit my YouTube channel. There's a lot of great content over there. YouTube.com slash Shlomi Zions. I hope you put a link to that in the description to this video. Um, Also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. 
wherever the social media is, I'm, I am there. And one thing I want the world to know is that I have an awesome song idea for you, for Nisim. And <laughs> I want to work with you on it to make it a reality. We're talking like a song, a music video, and uh -huh. uh, let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. Okay, listen, slow me. Got, got something in the works for me. Look at that. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I wasn't expecting that one. Okay, so I'm looking forward, brother. Listen, hopefully I'll see you again very, very soon. Uh, hopefully more here than in Houston, but I don't mind coming back to Houston. It was actually very nice over there. So listen, blessings to you and your family. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, one more thing I want to add is that we have our documentary that we filmed in a prison in Texas. Ah, I was waiting. I wasn't going to ask about it because I didn't want to put you on blast. But no, now no, that no, you no. put me on blast, I'm ready to see it. <laughs> that's happening. That's happening very soon. I will uh, let you guys know when it happens. But we're gonna. it's going to be very interesting, and I feel like it's going to move a lot of people in a positive yeah, way. I'm looking forward. Looking forward. It was, first, that was a powerful experience, was it not? Yeah. Like That was, for me, probably the most powerful experience I've had in years going there that i left and it like what i felt there just lingered and ling and i wouldn't expect it that wasn't the place i would expect it maybe where you were harsini somewhere over there baghdad the rubble of pompadisa where nothing was maybe over there i would have thought but at prison no way in the world so you guys definitely are going to want to see this uh, i mean shlomi i'm sure you captured amazing things but uh it was uh what we left with i think was the most powerful thing so thanks again, man, for coming on the show. Appreciate you. Anytime. Thank you. God bless you. And we'll see you soon.